So, if you do have your Bibles, you can turn over to, like I said, Luke chapter 7. All right, so I'm going to read just two verses to start us out, and I'm going to give you guys kind of, kind of some context behind it. I think that's important. Um, Luke 7, can everybody hear me right? You good? Cool. Um, Luke 7, verse 1, says, Now when he, Jesus, had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. Now, I didn't come up with a title for today just because I feel like it's a pretty broad topic. Um, But for these ten verses, we're kind of going to be talking about mostly this centurion. But to give you guys a little bit of background to it, it's, you know, with this, it's important to understand that this period of history, Israel was occupied by ancient Rome. So there was a, there was a government over top of the, the Jewish government. So this, this centurion was probably somebody that most of the, the Jewish people wouldn't like. You know, he's a, he's a commanding officer in an army that's literally invading and taking over your country. So it's probably fair to say that he wasn't, um, you know, wasn't everybody's favorite guy. Now, a centurion was in command of what in the, the Roman military complex was called a century. Um, and what that was, depending on the period of history, it's about, it would be anywhere between 150 to 1,000 soldiers, depending on his, his rank, I guess, in that, within that role. Because you had centurions that were, there were different tiers of them. You had lower level ones where they just had maybe 100 men, and then some had upwards of 1,000. And so this centurion... He has, a, uh, he has a servant who's, who's sick, the Bible tells us. And we understand by reading that he was, he was sick to the point where he was going to die. Um, I don't know what kind of illness he had. I also don't know where the centurion lived. Those are details that are kind of left out here, but they're not necessarily pertinent to the, the story. But so this, um, if you've read the chapter before this, you understand that you know, we're kind of, kind of coming off of the tail end. Jesus had just given a big, you know, the sermon was a big deal. It wasn't the Sermon on the Mount. It's historically referenced to as the Sermon on the Plain. And he had given this sermon, and there were multitudes of people around him who had figured out that just by touching his garment, the virtue that flowed out of, them, out of Jesus was enough to heal them. And so, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus' fame in the prior chapter went out through all the land. So at this point, this is maybe historically hours or, you know, within a a few days after this event occurs. So it's fair to say that this centurion had heard about it. And somebody, you know, if you can put yourself in the shoes of this person for a second and you you have somebody who you love who is sick and you know they're going to die, but then you hear about this guy who somebody touches the guy's robe and they're healed immediately of their cancer or of their, their mental illness... He's casting out demons. He's doing all of these things just by, just by touching people. And so, as you would imagine, the centurion is like, huh, well, that's, that's a pretty good idea. We should, you know, he talks to the Jewish leaders, and he says, you guys need to go get me this guy who's named Jesus. So I'll read a little bit further because it kind of gives a little bit of insight here. But it says that when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. So he sends the Jewish leaders, and as expected, now you can kind of, as you read the New Testament, you can kind of feel the tension between the, the Jewish leadership of that, you know, the religion of the day and Jesus, because Jesus was very, he was very anti-religion. He was very anti almost everything that the Jewish leadership had stood for. 
And so you can kind of see as they come to him, the Bible tells us that when they came, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. So they kind of, you know, these Jews, they come to Jesus, and they're like, listen, man, you know, I know you were, you know, you healed all those nobodies yesterday. And there's this guy, right? And he's a centurion who I know, I know, we don't, you know, most of us, we don't like these people. But this guy's different. This guy has, he's built us a synagogue. He's a pretty upstanding guy, and he cares for somebody like, like his servant. And he's definitely, he's definitely worthy of, of healing, I think. And so they come to him, and that's, what was interesting to me and what really stuck out was the fact that when they came to Jesus immediately, their first inclination was, we have to give this guy a reason for what we're asking of him. We have to, we have to justify you know, what we're going to ask with, with all of these different things, almost like a, you know, it's just flowing out of their mouth. He does this, he does this, he does this, and you should heal him. And I think what's interesting is if you kind of, if you study Jesus' character throughout the New Testament, we find that you know, he never, you know, Jesus really never requires something of people before he heals them or before he helps them. But I think it's odd looking at this, and I think we can all relate. Our natural inclination is if we want something from somebody, we, you know, hey, listen, man, I really need help. I'll do this for you. I'll do this. You should do this because fill in the blank. And I think that this really shows the, you know, a big parallel between religion, right, doing something to earn favor and Christianity with Jesus, right, where, you know, favor is given even though favor is not deserved. And so you can kind of see where they're coming from with that. But I just thought that was, that was really interesting that they had, you know, they came that way. So he sends, the centurion sends his, you know, the Jewish leaders to find Jesus. And surely, right, in his mind, surely that this guy who, you know, people were just walking up to him yesterday and Jesus not really maybe even knowing that they were touching him, they were healed. He's like, surely this guy... You know, this guy, Jesus, can, can heal my servant, so he sends for him. And the Jewish leaders automatically assumed that Jesus needed convincing to do anything for this guy. But most people, but like I said, the kind of the, the pretense behind this is that most people, when you would look at somebody like this, you know, you can see these guys, plain as day, walking around, you know, in their armor with their armies of men. They weren't, you know, it wasn't somebody that, that could just kind of blend into a crowd. So everybody knew who this guy was. And so we read here, we read that Jesus went with them. And kind of a, you know, in my opinion, a predictable response, right? Somebody comes to Jesus with a need and Jesus goes. Fair, fair point. Now, he was now not far from the house, the Bible tells us. And the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Now, this is kind of what had caught me aback. I'm like, okay, so in this period of history, they didn't have cars, and most people, you know, a horse or a donkey was a luxury. You know, it's not like Jesus hopped in his Mercedes and drove down the street to this guy's house. He walked for, and like I said, we don't know where this man lived in relation to where Jesus was in Capernaum, but he walked probably quite a ways, at least, you know, several to, you know, maybe tens of miles. I don't know how long it took him, but Jesus finally, he gets to the point after this long journey and he can see the house. And this guy sends his friends out of the house. It's like, nah, man, you don't have to come. You don't have to come anymore. We're, you know, don't, just don't come in the house. And I'd, if it were me, I'd be like, okay, I'm pretty upset. I'm hungry. I just walked all this way. And you're going to tell me, you can tell me not to come in the house. So let's read on. What was Jesus' response to this? And he says, or the centurion says this. This is a follow-up statement to what he was saying. 
Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come to you, because, mind you, he sent, he sent somebody after Jesus to fetch him. But neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but to say in a word... Come on, you version. But to say in a word, say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. So he kind of, the centurion, he comes to an understanding, and I think that you know, kind of looking at this from a personal level, right? If you know, if you find out, or you're you're agonizing over somebody who's like, man, this this is terrible. I love this person. They could die any minute with this illness, and so you frantically you call for these people as a last ditch effort to go find this guy named Jesus that you've never seen. And you've never heard of until you hear about these, these healing stories. And after all this, you send for him. You kind of you take a second and you, you really just reflect on what you've done. And I think that's kind of where the, where the centurion's at. He sends for Jesus, and next thing you know, Jesus shows up. And he's like, man, listen. He said, I, I sent for you, and, you know, but I'm, after kind of musing on this for a bit, I'm not even worthy that you should, you should come into my house. And, you know, but he says, I know that you don't even have to... You don't even have to be here and touch my servant for him to be healed. All you have to do is speak the word, and I believe that it'll be, that it'll be finished. And how powerful is that, right? Because if the centurion knew that Jesus did not have to come to heal his servant, and we'll read later what happens, but if the centurion knew this, we know by contrast that Jesus also knew that he didn't have to come all this way to heal the servant. He could have just, you know, the centurion's right, he could have spoken a word, and he could have healed him right away without walking all day or riding a donkey all day to get there. But he goes on to say this. He says, I am also a man set under authority, having me soldiers. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this and do that, and he does it. And, you know, so this centurion, he's like, I've, he realizes I've, I've treated this guy as he, as he sees the physical son of God walking up his driveway, he says, I've treated this guy like I treat my servants. I've treated this guy like I would treat a, a nobody. I wanted him here, and I sent for him, and I expected him to come. You know, which doesn't seem, doesn't seem horrible at a first glance, but think about it. And think about this in relation to our lives and who we are as people, right? I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, and nobody has to raise their hand or say anything, but how many times do we, you know, do we not communicate with our father unless we absolutely need something and then we expect immediately you better fix this or I'm going to fill in the blank or I'm not going to come to church anymore or I'm not going to you know I'm not going to believe in you anymore which is you know we we are the ones just like the Jewish leaders who you know we expect you know we reason and expect something in return when we ask for something and this centurion did that to Jesus he literally was like okay Coke machine, I put in my dollar twenty-five and I do expect a can of Coke to come out. That is that is what I expect here. And I think that if we're not careful, we kind of see ourselves at, at some times, or if you're anything like me, probably more times than not, where we we pray for things and we, you know, we go through the motions and we come to church and we do our thing and but at the end of the day, our relationship with God is no more than, you know, can you heal my sick relative? Can you heal my, you know, my sick son or my sick daughter or my sick mom or dad? And that's the, that's the extent of the relationship. And that's where the centurion's at. And that's not a, that's not a healthy... You are, you are a saint, good sir. I appreciate that. Pause. That's amazing. Water's never tasted so good. Have you guys ever had water standing up here? It's, it's really good. I mean, it was, it was a... It was life-giving for sure. 
But, but so the centurion, he's, you know, he goes through all of this, and I can only imagine what's going through the guy's mind, because that's a really, it's a traumatizing situation when somebody who's, you know, as close to you as his, his servant or his, his hired worker, whoever it was to him, was, you know, he was pretty messed up about it. And I can only imagine the, just the trauma associated with that. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of shape the guy was in. I don't know if he was maybe seizing or vomiting. We don't know. But he's going through all of this, and I think towards the end of this, after he sends and he does his thing, and he's like, man... You know, I can't, you know, I'm seeing this guy walk up my driveway and there's something different, there's something different about this man that I've sent for. And I knew when I heard about him yesterday or several hours ago this morning or last, last evening that, you know, there was, you know, people don't just, you know, the average guy just can't heal people. Like we have doctors and things, but this guy, they, they come up and touch him and their, their illness that nobody's been able to find a cure for is gone. And... You know, as I sit here and meditate on what I've done, I realize that I've treated him no better than I would treat somebody who's under submission to me. And I think he realizes the, you know, the fault of his, of his thinking. But how does Jesus respond to this? I mean, think about this for a second, right? So Jesus walks all this way only to be told, don't bother coming. You didn't have to do this in the first place. You can take care of it just by speaking. Have a great day. Bye. You know, I would have been frustrated. I would have been aggravated and I probably would have went in any way and took a nap on his couch. That's what I do. Um, but Jesus says this. It says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. He marveled at him and turned him about and said to the people that followed him, because there was, you know, there was pretty much always a crowd with Jesus in his early ministry. He was popular, right? He was like, you know, he was like Santa Claus. He just, you know, he gives things to people. He takes a couple loaves of bread and fishes and feeds a couple thousand people. And the general population was generally attracted to that. And we know that in this group of people, he had disciples and people who followed him who were serious about it, but he always, pretty much always had a crowd behind him. So he turns to the group of people that were following him, and it says, the Bible says that he turned him about. Like, he's looking around, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> you guys see, you guys hear what's happening right now? He says, I, has, he said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And what do we know about Israel? We know that Israel, the nation, was, you know, this was God's chosen people. This is the people that, you know, they were under captivity in Egypt and God brought them out, right? These are the people that, you know, when they were out of Egypt in the wilderness, God, you know, he clothed them. He literally allowed their clothes and their shoes to grow with them. He made water come out of a rock. He made manna fall out of heaven for them to eat. And he's talking about this people, and he's like, man, this guy... This situation, you know, since I've been here with you all, he's like, I haven't, I have yet to meet somebody with faith like this Roman centurion, a guy who is not religious, a guy who has no idea really who Jesus even is, and a guy who, you know, basically had a problem and just sent for him, right? Coke, you know, Coke machine Christianity. He sends for the guy, and he's like, this guy, this guy's got it going on in the faith department. This guy is, you know, he's a cut above the rest. And everybody standing around him, you could probably imagine that there's a, you know, there's just some visual like, hmm, that doesn't make much sense. Because this guy, you know, yeah, okay, he's done good thing for the Jewish people. He's built a synagogue. He's, you know, he's been good to these people that, you know, in his province that he's over. But, you know, to have greater faith than, you know, the, the leader at my synagogue back in Jerusalem, I, I, I don't think so. And Jesus goes on to say... <clears throat> let's see yes that is actually all he says is he has not found so great faith no not in Israel so that's that's pretty astounding that in this situation you have somebody who's you know 
you would look at walking down the street, you know, modern day, like, oh man, that guy, he doesn't go to church. He looks pretty roughed up. He's, there's no way he's, you know, he's not as, as good as me, right? Or, you know, he's, you know, maybe, you know, I don't, we all have different people that we, you know, everybody, we, we look at different classes of people differently, but I can only imagine if this guy were here today, what, what we might say about him. Like, oh, that guy, he thinks he's too good for, he's too good to be here. But none of us would really know that the guy, you know, the guy had a heart. He built a synagogue. He helped out the Jewish people. And though he was the unexpected force for good in the community, nobody really, nobody really saw him that way. So they were taken aback when Jesus says, hey, this guy right here, he has more faith than all of you combined, sending for me like this, just, just believing that if he sends for me, that I'll heal his problem. And what's interesting about this, and this is something interesting to note, is that there's only two times in recorded scripture that say that Jesus was actually surprised about something. And this is one of those two situations, and it's actually the only one that has a positive connotation. Um, I have it noted down here. In the book of Mark, in the book of Mark chapter 6, which is a, you know, there's several parallels in between these two tellings of the gospel, but the Bible tells us in, come on, see this is why I don't buy Apple products, by the way, I'm an Android guy. Just want to say that. Um, but the Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that... It's uh, verse 5 and 6. And it says, And he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and, and healed them. But he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. And they went out and... and <clears throat> And preach that men should repent, talking about his disciples. So we find that on the other end of the spectrum, right, Jesus is marveling at this guy's faith. But on the other end of it, Jesus was actually hindered by the faith that the Jewish people did not have. He could not, Jesus could not perform miracles because they did not believe that he could. Now, how does that, how does that practically translate into our lives, right? Talking about, just talking about faith. Because that's why we're all here, right? We have faith, you know, it's fair to say. But... Looking at it from this perspective, we know that by looking at these two passages, you know, you have a situation where the Bible tells us that, you know, this centurion who's, you know, not religious or anything like that, believes in Jesus and Jesus heals his servant without even coming to, without, without even coming to touch him. And then you have another situation where Jesus really wasn't able to do anything because people didn't believe. And that's, that's powerful because we know that, you know, the Bible tells us that God can literally do anything. He, you know, he is able to do, you know, everything that we could possibly imagine he could do and then some. But the key to that is faith, right? And so looking at this, we understand practically that, you know, our faith is, is the key to, you know, what might make things happen for us in our own lives, I know we all, you know, I mean, we're all human. We all pray for things, and we all, you know, we see these things happen, and we wonder, like, man, where is, you know, where is God in this situation, right? Or where is, you know, where was God when, when this happened to me, when I asked him for this? And where is, you know, where was he when you fill in the blank? We all, we all have had these thoughts. I don't care who you are, and if you, if you haven't, you're a liar, because we've all had them. We've all hit a low point in our faith where we're like, man, you know, I've, you know, I, I do, I come to church every week, I give, and I, you know, I've given my life to you, and this is how you repay me for it. And that's how, that's how we think, right? That's how the Jewish leaders thought, you know, we're, you know, you're going to do this because I've done this. 
And on the opposite end of it, we're like, God, you should do this because I've done this. I don't understand. This is like, it makes perfect sense, and then he doesn't. But what we know from reading this is that what we, things that we, things that we pray for and things that God will do hinges completely on our own faith. If you don't believe that he will do it, he won't do it. If you don't believe that something can happen, that just, it won't happen. And likewise, you'll find that, you know, those of us in the room, and I'm sure we could go on for hours, people who have testimonies of, man, you know, God really came through for me in this specific situation. I just, you know, it was rough, and I was, you know, I went through this period of just, like, hopelessness, and at the end of the tunnel, there he was, and he came through just like I knew he would. But then there's, there's also people, probably some of the same people that have stories like that, that would say, you know, I went through all this, and when I thought that, you know, he was going to come through, he didn't. And we feel these things, and we're, we're conflicted, right? We're double-minded. And we're, you know, we're all in a fallen, sinful nature state, so we can't, we can't help feeling these things. It's not, you know, you're not alone if you think these things, because I have, and I know you have. But we go through all of this, and we, you know, the thing to understand is that faith, faith is the key. And Jesus said in the New Testament that, you know, you can move mountains with the faith of, you know, the size of a, a mustard seed, which is extremely small. So you don't, need, you don't need much faith, right? You just need faith. And if I could encourage you anything today, or at all, you know, those of you who are, who are going through a hard time, you feel hopeless, you feel like whatever you're going through is never, never going to come to an end. Or you feel like, you know, you just, you can't seem to get ahead in life, right? We've all been there. Some of us are there. But have faith. Have faith that what you're going through, A, that it has a greater purpose. Because we know that the things that we go through, James said, count it all joy when you go through tribulation, right? That there's a, you know, there's a purpose for that. God puts us through a, you know, just like... Um, I don't know if it's silver or gold. I'm kind of blanking on it. But when you put that metal in the furnace and you, you turn the heat up and you, you put some pressure on it and that dross rises to the top and then it gets scraped off. And then you heat it up some more and more dross rises to the top and it gets scraped off, right? There's a, you know, there's a purpose for the, the fires and the things that, that happen in our life. But the key to all of that is if we don't have faith, we have nothing. We know that if we don't have faith, God can't work. But God can assist us with that. If you don't have faith, it's very okay in your prayer closet to say, listen, God, I feel hopeless. I feel empty. I need some faith. Can you, you, know, can you fill me up? Can you fill me up with some faith? And he'll give it to you. It's not, you know, it's not unre- an unreasonable request to ask for faith. I've kind of wandered off topic a little bit on a rabbit trail. The only problem is when Pastor Matt runs off on a rabbit trail, he can come back, right? <laughs> I'm just the, you know, dad's out of town. I'm the fun uncle, and I'm I'm kind of, you know, trying to keep myself straight here. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's true. It's true. And I think that, and you're spot on with that, and I think that a lot of times we look at things and a lot of this, and I tell my teenagers all the time, perspective is, is so key with how you look at things because your perspective determines whether what you're going through is a good or a bad thing. Your perspective on going through something, it can either be, this is really hard, I don't know how I have, why I have to do this, or it can be, 
man, I've, you know, I'm learning a lot from this. This is hard, but I'm going to get through it, and I'm going to be stronger on the other side. And I think that perspective is so key in that, because that's, at the end of the day, if you have perspective, you, know, you have control over what, you know, what is a good or bad situation in your life. And I think that you know, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we can, you know, we can literally have that, that mind swap or that, that perspective swap and he, you know, he gives us that. And I think that's a, a huge key to, to dealing with these things. Let me see here. Catch back up. So two times in the Bible that this happens. And we read, the, we read on and in verse number... You version, you version has shut down. Okay, here it is. But, so after all of this, after all of this wraps up, you know, the Bible says that after they come and they tell these things to Jesus, they say, listen, you know, the centurion sent us. He says that he believes that you don't even have to physically come to the house for his servant to be healed. Just say it in a word, and we believe that, you know, that it'll happen. And the Bible tells us that those servants go back to the house, Jesus and his following, they part ways, and that when they get back to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. And so, moral of the story here is that you know, the centurion was right. Jesus was right. He did not have to, you know, he did not have to physically touch that person for that person to be made whole. And the centurion's faith, because mind you, Jesus went either way. Jesus was more than willing to make that journey to the house because that's, you know, that's the level of the faith that the centurion had before he changed his mind. Right? He goes, you know, he makes his way to the house, and then the second wave comes. The centurion's like, you know what, I believe that you can do it, but I believe that you don't even have to be here to do it. And Jesus says, you're right. I don't have to be here to do it. And so he, you know, with, I don't know if he snapped his fingers, or I don't know if he did anything at all. I would have snapped my fingers, because that's just a cool thing to do. But, you know, they go back to the house, and the, the servant is healed, and all from a guy, you know, all of this kind of revolves around a guy who is, you know, I guess a, a term would be unchurched, or a guy who was culturally, you know, culturally not accepted. If he would have showed up to maybe any other synagogue, aside from the one that, you know, the, that group of people that knew him because he built their synagogue, if he would have showed up to any other one, he probably would have been shunned. If he had sought help from any of the, you know, the higher-up Jewish leaders of the day, they, they wouldn't have helped him. He was a, he was a Gentile, right? Because, you know, in the Old Testament, we know that the Jewish people were kept very separate. They had a very you know, a low view of those who were not of the seed of Abraham. And so this guy might, you know, he may have been rejected by, by all else, but Jesus didn't feel that way. And one of the things that we've also talked about in teen class lately is, you know, when Jesus does things, it's not, you know, he doesn't do good and expect something in return. Jesus doesn't do good and say, okay, listen, I'll do this for you, but, and how many, listen, how many of us, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many times have you been like, God, if you, just, if you just help me with this, I promise I'll go to church every week. I'm going to give my life to you, and I'm going to be a great, if you just get me through this. And that's not how he works. It's not. And that's our, that's our nature, though, because we, you know, as people, we know that that's just, that's just how our negotiations work with people. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you, and everything, everything will be hunky-dory, but that's not how Jesus works. Jesus does good things for us, though we're undeserving. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It are, literally, the good things that we can do for him mean absolutely nothing. And we know from our faith that, you know, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. There's nothing, 
There's nothing good that we can bring to the table, but yet in our finite mind, we always feel the need to, to bring it to the table. Like, listen, if you just do this for me, if you just give me this raise or this promotion at work, I'm going to give so much more to the church, you won't even believe it, right? You know, and we've all been there. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, God is good. God does not, and here's two, what time is it? There's, um, there's two practical things that I really, you know, I wanted three things, but I really, I just felt like there were two things in this passage that really, really hit home for me that have really helped me out as I've been musing on this text over the past couple weeks. Um, I was fortunate that, you know, Pastor Matt did not give this to me last minute. He, I'd actually have had a couple weeks to look over this. I didn't expect that, though. Um, but if you need something, Jesus does not negotiate. And coming from a, you know, a sales background, I've been doing sales for a living for the last couple years. And I can appreciate the fact that when I need something or when I go to God with a, with a need, I don't have to bargain with him, right? I don't have to say, I'll do X, Y, Z if you do X, Y, Z. And this is, our, this is our fair trade, right? I know that when I go to him with a need, that there's nothing that I even have to negotiate with. I have nothing to bring to the table there like we already talked about. But he does not negotiate now, the Old Testament and the New Testament alike are filled with stories about God providing and giving to his people, not because they deserved it. And if you read, especially a lot of the Old Testament, the Israelites were a very grumpy, griping, I mean, they were just a, an ungrateful people. But we read over and over again, and we recall to this day, thousands of years later, all of the amazing things that God did with them in the Old Testament, right? Right? And so we know that he gives because of who he is, not because of who we are, not because of what we do, because the Bible tells us that he's a, he's a good father. Jesus said, if, you're, if your earthly fathers give good gifts, how much the more do you think that your heavenly father will give? And I think that you know, we, we really shortchange ourselves because we, like I said, it's just, it's just who we are. It's who we're used to dealing with. We're, our interactions are all with sinful human beings. And the only one we have that we can have with people who are truly only looking out for our best interest is with our Father, right? And, but we go to him with the same mentality as we would go to somebody else. But fact of the matter is that he does not do things because of the things that we do. He does good things and everything that he does because of who he is as God, the person. Okay, just making sure I'm talking into this thing. Um, and the second thing, and this was, a, this was a really big deal for me, and I think this kind of this hit home for me, and I think it will for you too, but looking at Jesus' response to the, the centurion's faith, and he was, he was absolutely astonished by the, the faith that this guy had, the belief that this guy had that, that whatever Jesus was going to do, no matter what it was, it was going to heal his servant. He was going to be whole again. But when you take a look at just how Jesus was absolutely shocked. I mean, he surprised God. That's a pretty, it's a pretty big feat. When was the last time that we took, a, we took a step of faith in any area of life that you can look back on and say, you know, that's, that might have, that might have I, I hope that would have made Jesus marvel. I hope that the, the step of faith that I took was something that, you know, God smiled at. Because at the end of the day, I think that, you know, if we have faith, which I know we all do, that's why we're all here, 
you know, if we have faith, we know that God can do great things. And I think we shortchange ourselves by, by thinking small, by praying small. Because fact of the matter is, your families and our marriages and all of the things in our lives can be so much greater than we can even imagine them to be. But the is that when we pray for things, we pray small. You know, just help my marriage, you know, we're going through a rough time, help me get through the next year. Help my family get through this get through this season. We're, you know, just help us get by. But we never really, you know, I think we're always so concerned with just survival, but we're not really concerned about prospering. God, help me to have the best family. Help, help my family to be such a, you know, such a lighthouse to my community who needs Jesus. Help my marriage to reflect the love that you have for your church, because that's what we're supposed to represent. I think that, like I said, we shortchange ourselves on these things. We, when we think small, you know, it's almost, if you think about it on a, on a grand perspective, you know, with a God who has unlimited resources and unlimited wisdom, you know, why do we insult him with small requests? You know what I mean? And I, once again, we're all, we're all people here, right? We're all faulty. Nobody's perfect. But I think that that was, the, that was the biggest thing reading through this passage. Like, man, when was the last time, when was the last time I impressed God? When was the last time that wherever he's seated in the heavenlies, he was like, wow, hats off to you, bro. That was, you know, I could pull that off, but that was an out of the ordinary thing that you did committing to, you know, committing to give more to missions or, you know, opening up your schedule and, you know, serving at the church or, you know, whatever it might be that seems illogical to the rest of the world. Because that's, I mean, faith is an illogical thing. It literally, it makes no practical sense. But that's by design. And we know that we're taking huge steps of faith when somebody who might not be from the same circle, somebody who might not understand your faith says, you know, man, that's, uh, I don't know about that. That's, you know, that's, that's a, little, a little much. And I think when we start to shock the world with our faith, I think we'll, you know, we'll surprise, maybe not surprise God a little bit, because I don't think that he can really be surprised. But I think we'll, you know, that's kind of a, a fruit of that. And I'll take it a step further. When was the last time we've done something that has impressed our spouse? When was the last time we've done something that you know, has impressed our parents or has impressed our children. You know, I think we get so comfortable going through the motions, living our day-to-day lives that we're not, you know, there's no inward desire to be above average. And I think that all of our relationships would flourish a whole lot more if we were intentional about the fact that we're going to do something that is completely unexpected of us, whatever that may be. I'm not saying anything specific, but for me, I'm like, you know, and she's sitting back here so I can embarrass her a little bit. I used to write my wife the best letters when we were dating. And I can't help but think about this and be like, man, when was the last time I wrote my wife a letter? You know, when was the last time I did something romantic in a way that she was, like, just taken aback? You know? When was the last time that I did something like that instead of sitting on the couch and playing Fortnite? That's a relatable thing for me. It's a, it's a sin that I have, okay? Just, just help me deal with that. But, but I think that those are the... If I could leave you with anything, and, you know, with this, this is my first time doing this up here, so this is, you just got to bear with me a little bit. So I hope this has been, you know, somewhat informative and helped you in some way, but I think that if I could leave you with just the two thoughts, it's that, you know, if you need something, Jesus doesn't negotiate. He gives according to who he is. And also, with our faith, we we should be pushing the boundaries all the time. We should constantly be looking to be in a place where we can say, this is crazy. I can't believe I did this, but 
I know that whatever happens, I know this is a good thing. I've prayed about it, and God's going to bless it. Stretch your faith. Because that's, at the end of the day, that's really the only sure thing we have. We know that things are constantly changing. So those are the, the two thoughts that I really would like to leave you with today.